Hello, and welcome to the sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Versailles, Missouri. It is our hope that the following message will help you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. For more teachings, please visit our sermon page at fbcversales.com. Mark 13, 24 through 37. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send his out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happen, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know what, when the time is coming. It's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes, suddenly he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, Be alert. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we are thankful for your word, which reminds us that we need to be alert, to be aware of your coming again, so that we won't be caught off guard and that we won't be caught slacking off. Instead, Father, I pray that you would use your word today to encourage and inspire us to live our lives each day to show that you are Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Before cell phones became a thing that you could actually fit in your pocket or attach to your car, um, we didn't really know when family was going to arrive, right? If you were going to have family come over, you didn't know exactly when they were going to get there. Now they just call when they're five minutes out, hey, we're five minutes away. Right, And you know. But before that, we didn't really know. You'd get a rough idea because they'd call you the night before or the morning of and say, hey, we're leaving about this time. And you knew about how long it took for them to get from there to there. And you know, okay, two hours, whatever, right? But they could run into traffic. They could um, get a flat tire, have engine problems. Um, Someone might get sick along the way. That was always my job. My job was to get sick along the way. All are things which would delay their arrival. It would slow them down from getting there. In my family, we knew the time frame that people were going to arrive, and so we'd peek out the window every few minutes just to see if they'd made it. You know, no, not there yet. And the more time that passed, the closer we knew that they were to, to getting there, right? 
And the more time that passed, the more time that passed. And then when it got closer to about that time, we knew that they were really close. And then if it was past that time, we're like, any second now. Any second now, they're going to be showing up. And then we would hear the car turn down the gravel driveway. I don't know why we peeked out the window when we could hear them coming, but we did anyway. And we'd hear them coming down the gravel, and we'd all run outside and greet them. Across the years, many people have unsuccessfully tried to predict the return of Jesus and exactly when it would happen, only to be proven wrong. Jesus tells us that no one but the Father knows the day or hour of His return. We know that Jesus is coming, we just don't know the exact time of of His coming. And so Jesus wants us to be ready. He wants us to be ready because we know that every moment that He tarries is a moment closer to His return. And in our text today, Jesus is going to highlight some of the things that He's already taught earlier in this chapter. And He's also going to give a message of hope along with a warning about the future. Everything in Mark chapter 13 up to this point has been pointing the disciples to a future event. But the question has always been, what event? Because you see, this passage is prophetic and it's apocalyptic, meaning that Jesus is telling them about something that's coming in the future that's going to be a destruction. However, this also falls into a category that theologians call multiple fulfillment prophecy. And it's when a prophet describes two or more events that are not far apart in time within the same prophecy because they have similar things that are like one another. And I've been describing it as a mountain over the last few weeks, how you come to the mountain and you see two peaks and they look very similar. And so you describe, the prophet's describing what he sees, but then when you get to the first peak, you realize that the second peak, while similar, is actually quite a distance away from the first one. And so what we have described here is multiple events. And so trying to interpret the passage is challenging because we're not sure always exactly what event is being spoken about. But even with all of that, Jesus isn't telling the disciples when the end will happen. He doesn't give them a date or a time or anything like that. Instead, he gives them a sign to look for so that they won't be taken by surprise whenever he returns. And I think that the text splits very nicely into three sections this morning. The first one is called, Jesus will collect the elect, and that's in verses 24 through 27. Then Jesus is coming soon in verses 28 through 31. And third and finally, Jesus wants us to be ready in verses 32 through 37. So let's take a first look here at Jesus collecting the elect. In the first half of the 13th chapter of Mark, um, Jesus warns that there will be truly difficult times ahead of the end. He says there's going to be deception and division and destruction and disaster and despair. And these are all going to come before the end. He says many will come claiming, uh, coming in my name claiming to be me, claiming to be Jesus. There would be wars and rumors of wars, nation rising up against nation, earthquakes, famines, persecutions unto death, terrible, horrible, awful things 
await those who follow Jesus. So who wants to sign up, right? What a recruiting statement. Terrible, horrible atrocities await you when you follow Jesus. Sign up today. And Jesus says that's not even the end. That's the beginning of the end. That's the start of it all. There is going to be an end. There will be an end to the tragedy, the trials, the tribulations. There will be a stop to them. But the brutality is just the beginning. It's the beginning of birth pains is what he calls it. Then in verse 24, the first verse of our text today, Jesus changes directions with one word. But... All of the false messiahs with their signs and wonders in verses 21 and verse 22 are shown for who they really are at the dramatic coming of the Son of Man in the clouds with great glory and great power. So we have all these false messiahs, false teachers, false prophets, and they're doing legitimate signs and wonders And people are saying, look, there he is. Look, he's over here. Let's go see him. And Jesus says, don't be fooled. Eighth grade, (laughs) that little crack of the voice. He says, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. That's That's not me. That's not the end. That's not it. You'll know when it's me. I'll come in the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. Jesus says that there's going to be signs and wonders in the heavens, a cosmic and apocalyptic sign. The sun will be darkened, moon and stars, and heaven will be shaken. And this is all Old Testament language for the end times, specifically surrounding the day of the Lord. If you look up that phrase, the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, you're going to find a lot of these same things are happening on that day. In fact, all of these cosmic disasters mentioned by Jesus are a series of Old Testament quotes. Isaiah 13.10 describes the sun, the moon, and the stars not shining. Isaiah 34 verse 4 explains that all the stars will fall and dissolve. And Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 pictures the majestic entrance of the Son of Man in the clouds with great glory. And since there's so many Old Testament connections to this event we can see that the return of Christ is the fulfillment of all of those prophecies. God always will do what He said He will do. And He'll show us on that day, fulfilling all the rest of the prophecies of time. And as the end draws near and Jesus' return gets closer, there are going to be some cosmic fireworks. The things that seem permanent in this world, will be shaken. The cosmic chaos will be a signal that the end has come and that judgment is about to take place. If Jesus stopped right there with the disciples, if He stopped right there at that point, the future would look grim. The sun's going to be blacked out, the stars out, the moon gone, stars are falling. It's going to be really bad, guys. And, and he just stopped. They'd be like, and? And he'd just stand there looking at them. That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? That'd be terrible. But Jesus continues, and he continues with two of the most hope-filled words in Greek in verse 
26. He begins that sentence, and then. And then. And they're filled with suspense and hopefulness. So let's say I'm telling you a story about how I was out driving one day and uh, my engine started making weird noises. So I pulled over to the side of the road. And whenever I pulled over to the side of the road, there was a porcupine that I ran over, accidentally, of course. And the quills of the porcupine stabbed into my tires, front and back. And so I have flat tires all around the truck. And then, and then I noticed the reason why my engine was clunking is because it's just leaking oil everywhere on the ground. And, uh, and so I pulled over and I got out. And then, suspenseful, right? Because you don't know where the story is going to go next. You're not, you don't know if it's going to be. A, and then an eagle flew down and took the hat off my head. Or if it's going to be an, and then a tow truck showed up that had a mechanic that knew exactly what to do next. You don't know what the end then is going to be. But they're hope-filled words. You're like, oh, what's going to happen next? And that's what Jesus does here in verse 26. And then, and then what? You will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Back in verse 4, the disciples asked Jesus when he would return. And then he tells them about all these earth-shattering things that are going to happen and how what they think is permanent is going to be rocked to its foundation. And all of those things are not the end. They're not the end. They're just signs that the end is getting close. And then they will see the Son of Man. And what was prophesied several hundred years before in Daniel chapter 7 would now take place. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, it says, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like the Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven, He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before Him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. There is not going to be any secret appearances of Jesus. We're not going to have to guess, is that really Him? Did He really come? People will not need to say, like they did in verses 21 and 22, look, look, see, there's the Messiah. See, there He is. Because we won't be wondering if it's the Messiah or not. It will be obvious. Which is why Jesus tells them, don't believe in those false teachers, those false prophets, those false messiahs. Because the real Messiah is going to come with the power and the glory of heaven at His heels. If you're going, huh, I wonder if that's Jesus, it probably isn't. Because when Jesus comes, we will all know. We will all know. If there's no power, no glory, no clouds from heaven, it ain't Jesus. It ain't Jesus. When Jesus came the first time, He came very humbly as a man, as a baby who grew, almost no one recognized who He truly was, God in the flesh. And even though He never sinned, they gave Him a sinner's death. And that death paid the price for your sin and for mine. 
But when Jesus comes again, He's not coming as a baby in a manger. He's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming with all of the power of heaven. Everyone will know who He is. Everyone will bow their knee to Him. And everyone will confess that He is Lord and that He is great. Now look at what Jesus does next. He says He's coming in power and in glory. And then He says, He will send out the angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Even this collection of the elect is rooted in Old Testament imagery and also Old Testament prophecy. Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Psalms, Zechariah. And those are just the books, some of the books that are found in. There's multiple places in each one of those books that talk about this collecting of the elect. Daniel chapter 7, verse 10 makes a reference to countless ranks of angels who serve in God's court at the end of time. Now Paul teaches that when a believer dies, they are escorted, absent from the body, present with the Lord, escorted to the Lord's presence. And we also learn from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that what is left here of our physical bodies will be reunited with our spirit when Jesus comes again. At that time, says verse 27 in our chapter for today, the angels will collect together the elect of God those who were chosen before the foundation of the world, the ones who have responded in faith to the message of the gospel, those that we call saved, they will be gathered together from all over the globe. And after the four angels collect the elect, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, describes the scene. It gives us a picture of the heavenly homecoming. I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. It's going to be an incredible, incredible day when we worship God. In heaven. And even though believers will be spread out over all of the earth, no one will be left behind. No one will be missing. All those that have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb will be present because Jesus says that he will not lose a single one of them in John chapter 6. Those believers who have died at sea, the believers who have died to the flames, the ones that were historically torn to pieces and eaten by lions, people whose bodies were never found and laid to rest, the angels will collect each one. There is no obstacle too great that would keep Christ from gathering His church together in the end. Now this day is going to be one that's filled with great joy, but it's also going to be one that is filled with great dread. It will be filled with dread for those who have not put their hope and trust in Christ alone. Who will experience the judgment and the wrath of God for all of eternity. 
that great tribulation that they will experience before the end finally does come, it's going to seem like summer camp compared to the judgment and wrath that they will receive for all of eternity. And that same event, the coming of Christ, that is going to bring dread to the nations, will bring great joy to the saints. Because when Jesus gathers His followers, all the trials and all the tribulations of our life will finally be over. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more death. The coming of the judgment day of God will be the inauguration of the new kingdom, the eternal kingdom, where He will make all things new. A new heaven and a new earth. And that's when Jesus is going to collect the elect and they'll finally live forever with Him in heaven for eternity. But not only is Jesus going to collect the elect, He says, I'm coming soon. And I've got a lesson to teach you about that. Now Jesus ends His teaching on the Mount of Olives with two parables, with two stories. One's about a fig tree and the other one's about a man who goes on a journey. Jesus begins... In verse, um, in verse 28, learn this lesson from the fig tree. Now, we like, we like parables. We like stories. So this is going to be helpful. And he says, learn this lesson from the fig tree. And so just like this last week was, uh, was Groundhog Day, right? And what happens on Groundhog Day? You got the groundhog, right? Puxatawney Phil. Y'all watch Puxatawney Phil? No, no, just me? Okay. <laughs> Puxatawney Phil. He gets out of, the, of his hole. If he sees the shadow, six more weeks of winter. If he doesn't see the shadow, still six more weeks of winter. Because <laughs> the first day of spring is exactly six weeks away from then. But you know what's going on, right? They say that, that you can watch a groundhog and figure out what's coming for the future. It gives you an idea of what is going to happen. Well, in Israel, everybody knew that when the fig tree started sprouting its little buds and leaves, summer was near. Because while there's a lot of trees in Israel that never lose their leaves or green all, all year long, the fig tree was one that, that lost its leaves. And so each year, whenever, whenever the buds and the, and, the, and the green shoots started coming out, they knew summer was coming. And so we know that winter is coming or summer is coming. Um, But we don't know exactly, they didn't know exactly when summer would begin, but they had an idea. They knew it was definitely coming because the buds were there. And Jesus says, when you see these things, when you see these things, and these things that he's talking about is a reference back to verse 23 of the same chapter. He says, we're to recognize that he is near. He's at the door. And this is a pretty straightforward lesson. You see the, just like you see the leaves coming on the tree and you know summer's coming, when you see these things, you know that the event is coming. The thing is coming. And then in verse 30, Jesus drops an interpretive bomb on us. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Now, this verse has been used by many people in our world to say that, um, to say that the Bible can't be true. 
The Bible can't be true. Like I said, all these things will take place before the end. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's a lie. It's a lie. This generation will not pass away. This, that generation did pass away. It must be a lie, right? Jesus lied to us um, because Jesus said that generation, that generation is clearly dead now. I, in fact, I, had, I got sent a video, not somebody from our church, but just a friend sent me a video of an atheist who went on for 10 minutes about how Christianity and the Bible can't be true because of this verse. So they're out there. People are out there, and they think that Jesus lied because he said this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. So, so what are we to make of that passage? How are we supposed to understand it? Who is the generation? Well, some Bible scholars teach that this generation refers to Jewish people. And so they'll say that generation can be interpreted as race or clan or kind. And so they think that it means that there will be Jewish people all the way up until the time of Christ's return. From the time Jesus spoke it until Christ's return. Jewish people will be in existence during that time. Another view is that this generation means people that will be alive at the end time. So there will be people that are alive at the end time who witness the birth pains, and that generation will be alive to see all of the events that lead up until the very end, from the birth pains until the return of Christ. The third view is this generation interprets the prophecy that's connected to the events of A.D. 70, when the temple was destroyed. Now, I think that the generation being a group or race of people, I personally don't find that very convincing based on the context. Um, Good, Jesus-loving people believe that, have taught that across the years, and uh, God love them. I disagree with them on that. Uh, The two other views are more convincing. I could be convinced that it might mean people who will live through the tribulation to see the end, uh, live through the birth pains to the return of Christ, Um, But I, right now, today, am not convinced of that. Personally, today, I think that this generation is talking about those who were standing there at the time in front of Jesus, and they would be alive to see and experience the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And so I think that truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place is a reference back to the parts of the prophecy that have to do with the destruction of the temple. But I could be convinced that it might mean something else too. I'm not dogmatic about that. That's where I land today. Um, so they're going to see all the signs, all the famines, all the, all the things, all the earthquakes and the wars, and, uh, and you look back through history, one commentator has listed out all those things that happened during that period of time leading up to the destruction of the temple, that they saw those things happen along the way, and then they saw the destruction of the temple. So, I've given you something that you can argue about over lunch and uh, on the commercials during the, that silly football game later on today. Um, <laughs> about who the generation is. Um, and some of your position on who these people will be depends on your interpretation of other events about the end times. So just have some fun. Have some fun debating on it, but don't, uh, don't get so mad that you throw the remote or 
or you know, your nachos at your friend or something, all right? This isn't something to divide over, uh, but it might be fun to debate over a little bit. But I do think, uh, personally, today, maybe later today, someone will convince me of something different, but right now, I'm convinced that this is attached to the, to the remarks about the coming of, of the destruction of the temple, and partly because of verse 29 where it says, uh, when these things are happening, recognize that he or it is at the door. And I think that's a reference to the army of Titus that's surrounding the city because that same language was used to describe that. But anyway, uh, I won't go into it because I'm not going to try and, and uh, argue my position on that particular thing today because there's more important things that I want to tell you before we end our time today. So Jesus closes his teaching on the fig tree by saying, Heaven will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Heaven and earth are things that represent stability, immovability, right? And Jesus is saying that those things that seem so permanent in our life will one day be reduced to the elements that that they are made of. They'll be destroyed and they'll be done away with and a new heaven and a new earth will be created as Revelation 21.1 says. And not only will heaven and earth pass away, but we will too. We have an expiration date. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 6. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And its inhabitants, that's us, we will die like gnats. We will not go on forever and ever. One day our life will come to an end. And every second that passes on the clock reminds us that our time is getting shorter and shorter. And even when everything else passes away, the Word of God remains forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God remains forever. One day, we will die, and we will stand before God and face the judgment. God's Word, which is everlasting, also tells us about an everlasting salvation. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 6, My salvation will last forever. John three sixteen. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. It's an everlasting salvation with everlasting life. And the truth of the Word of God is the firm foundation on which our faith can stand. Not the ideas or teachings of some man, but on the Word of God. The Gospel. It outlasts everything else. And it's that Gospel that answers our greatest problem as humans. Sin. You see, Jesus Christ came and He carried our sins on the cross in order that we might be made holy because our sin made us unholy. And with His holiness With His holiness being brought into our lives, we can be reconciled to God because God is perfectly holy and we are not holy. And in order to be in a relationship with Him, we have to be made holy. And the love of God and the justice of God met on the cross to make us pure. Heaven and earth, they only last for a moment. But the Word of God and His Gospel message It will last forever. That's why the people that it makes new get to spend eternity 
in heaven with him. Because his word lasts forever. His word lasts forever. His promise lasts forever. And that's why those who have rejected his word spend an eternity in torment and wrath in hell. Because his word lasts forever. His promises last forever. Well, Jesus wants us to be ready. He wants us to be ready. He says that only the Father knows when history will end and he will return. No one else knows. No one. No one knows. The angels don't know. Jesus said that he didn't know. And this makes, this makes it really weird when people in every generation have said, I know when God will return. Let me write it on a calendar for you. Let me write this book about it. You know, I know he, he's going to return in 2031 or 2020 or 2012 or 2000, right? Right at midnight. Everybody, all these cross years, I know when he's going to return. And I'm like, excuse me? Oh, no one knows. You missed that one, <laughs> right? They've missed it. No one knows. They don't know. Only God knows. Only the Father knows. But while we might not know the exact date and time when Jesus returns, He tells us what to do while we wait for Him to come. Verse 33 says, Watch out! Be alert! Why? For you don't know when the time is coming. He calls His followers to watch out and be on guard four times in verse 5, 9, 23, and 33. And He tells them three times to stay alert or to stay awake in verses 33, 35, and 37. And then He tells a story. And the story about, is about a man that goes out on a journey. And he's telling the story about himself, obviously. He's telling this story, and it's supposed, to, it's supposed to be a symbol of what is happening with him, right? So he tells the story about a man going out on a journey, which is the man is Jesus. And so the story means that Jesus has temporarily left the house, but he's going to return. And we, as his servants, are left with a task in verse 10 that the gospel be preached to all nations. God has given each of his servants, each one of us, part of that work to do. And according to verse, that's according to verse 44, or 34, he's given each of us part of the work. Then he tells his servants, get busy working, and I'll be back. Right? And we don't want to be found slacking off or sleeping when Jesus returns. And we don't know when Jesus is going to return, so we need to stay busy. In fact, three times we're told that no one knows the timing in verse 32, 33, and 35. No one knows. Now, when I was young, um, I'm pretty sure partly because we were rowdy in the grocery store, and the other part was because my mom just wanted some time away from us. She would leave my brother in charge, and we would be left at home while she went and got groceries. And she would always leave us with something to do because I'm sure that she knew that if we didn't have anything to do, we were just going to get in trouble, right? So she had stuff for us to do, wash the dishes, vacuum the carpet, sweep the floor, you know, all this stuff, all the stuff she wanted us to do. And so she would leave. And we would try and guess about how long it would take for her to get back. And we would always just wait as long as we possibly could to start actually working because we didn't really want to do it anyway. 
And I can't tell you how many times mom showed up and we were still in the middle of the work because we had put it off that long. Um, where if she had come home like maybe even five or six minutes before that, she would have caught us doing nothing. Um, we, maybe we would have heard the car and, you know, got to work real quick, but we put it off because we thought, ah, she's gonna, it's going to be forever. We have so much time. We can do whatever we want, and then, you know, we'll just clean it up at the end. Well, Jesus says that that's kind of what's going on here in his delay in coming back. But he says, stay awake, stay alert. I could come back at any time, in the evening or in the midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. These are all the watches of the night in Rome. And the bottom line is that Jesus is going to come back suddenly at any time. And you'll want to make sure that Jesus finds you busy when he comes back. You'll want to make sure that you're not sleeping at the job, that you're not unprepared or distracted from your assignment. You want to make sure that you're ready. One of my greatest fears is that Jesus will return and find his church neglecting her mission to make disciples. That she's wasting her resources and her energy. That she will be more worried about calculating dates for the end times than she is about saving the souls of those who are headed for hell. That the church will think that there's more time There's more time. Certainly he won't come back today. There's more time for us to do that important stuff. You know, I know people who have personally said, oh, I'll just get busy serving God tomorrow. And then tomorrow for them never came. Or they'll procrastinate. They know that that there's something that God wants them to do, and they say, okay, I'll do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes, and they go, I'll do it tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And they keep putting it off again and again and day after day. But Jesus is saying, we don't know when. So we need to get busy living our lives for God today. Because we might not have tomorrow. We might not have tonight. We might not have the next hour or minute. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. We just don't know. So what we need to do is live today. We need to live today so it doesn't matter if Jesus comes back today or a hundred years from now. We need to live today ready for when Jesus returns. We need to live today ready for Jesus' return. Augustine wrote this, He who loves the coming of the Lord is not he who affirms it is far off, nor is it the one who says that it's near. It is he who, whether it be far or near, awaits it with sincere faith, steadfast hope, and fervent love. And what that means is he's saying that, that there are a lot of people who say, yes, I can't wait for the Lord to come. And they're thinking that it's some far off thing. Or there's other people who say, I can't wait for the Lord to come, and they're thinking that it could happen tomorrow. He says neither one of them are really showing that they love the the coming of the Lord unless they're living today like the Lord is going to come. 
That's how we know that we love the coming of the Lord. That's how we know that we're ready for Him to, recome, to return and come back. It's because we're living today like it's our last day. Preparing ourselves, preparing our hearts, preparing our families. Making disciples. The hope of the return of Jesus should give us strength to endure any affliction that we might face. If we believe that the words of Jesus will never pass away, then we can cling to them in times of great distress. Jesus has never lied. What He has promised will come true. Persecution, illness, weakness, suffering, poverty, all of those things will one day, they'll pass away. They'll pass away with this earth and with our bodies. But trusting in the Word of God can bring a great peace to your heart and to your soul. The suffering that we have right now, the Bible says, is only for a little while. That's how it describes it. You suffer for a little while. And then one day, one day, that suffering will end. And it will end in the great power and glory of Christ's return. And one of the reasons I believe that we don't have peace in our souls today is because we are not completely resting on the Word of God. We haven't fully come to grips with it. We haven't fully settled our heart on it. Because if we truly believed what God's Word says, then we would have peace with what is going on in our life and what's going on around us. I've just scrawled a note here in this part of my message, and it says, God's delay shows our true loyalty. God's delay shows our true loyalty. There was a test done a while back, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was with little children and marshmallows. And what they did was that they got these groups of children, different ages, and they put them in a room, and the person that was administering the test put a giant marshmallow on a plate in front of the child. And then they explained to the child, if you wait and don't eat this marshmallow, when I come back, I'll give you a second marshmallow. But if you eat it, that's the only one you're going to get. And then they left the room. And there's kids of all ages, right? And uh, I won't explain the whole video to you, but you can only imagine what happened next. Uh, One of the kids, he got very close to the marshmallow and sniffed it, and then he licked it, because she didn't say you couldn't smell or lick it. She just said you couldn't eat it. (laughs) Some of them ate the marshmallow. Some of them waited. The ones who waited were rewarded with a second marshmallow, a big one, right? These aren't the little guys that you put in your hot chocolate. These are the big ones. And they were rewarded with a second marshmallow. And the delay in time showed their commitment to the instruction, to the command. And and the delay in the return of Christ and how we respond in that delayed time shows our commitment to Him. God's delay shows our true loyalty. Will we endure to the end? Maybe you don't love Christ today. 
or you are waiting to follow Him, you think, I'll just trust Him at the very end of my life. I'll be laying on my deathbed, and in moments before I pass away, I'll trust in Christ. But we don't really know when that end will be. This could be our last day on earth. And there's no better time to repent than right now. There's no better time to believe in Jesus than right now. Charles Spurgeon said, There is nothing gained by delay, but there is increased sin. There's increased hardness of heart and even an increased difficulty in yielding the soul to Christ. The best time for any of you to come to Jesus is now. You never have a fairer opportunity than the one which lies before you at the present moment. I'm sure of it. Because God's wisdom always picks the best opportunity. And what does God's wisdom say? Well, in His Word it says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. He says, come today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. You know, I've never met one single Christian who said that they wish they had waited longer to follow Jesus. Haven't met one. Not one Christian I've ever met said, You know what? I wish I would have waited another year or two to follow Jesus. That would have been much better. No, uh, but I have met many, hundreds and hundreds of Christians who have said, I wish I would not have wasted so much time before I followed Jesus. I wish I wouldn't have waited. I wish I wouldn't have wasted so much time. Whatever you've been putting off, where God's concerned, whatever you've been waiting on, whatever you've been, however you've been justifying it in your mind, pushing it away, stop it. Just stop. Stop putting it off. Stop delaying it. Stop procrastinating. You've done enough of that already. Now is the time for action. That's what this text is telling us. Jesus is going to return. You know, Mark doesn't get into all the little details about the 70 weeks of Daniel and the, and the seven years of tribulation and all that kind of stuff that everybody else kind of you know, splinters off into. And I think it's because Mark is writing to a group of people who are action-oriented. And he says... That stuff is nice to know, so he includes some of the signs, but then he says, just get to work. Share the God. You don't know when it's coming. Start doing something today. Don't put it off. Now's the time for action. And Christ tells us, come empty. Come with our sin. Come in our hardened state of hard, hardened, our, uh, our hard-hearted state. Come just as you are, and He will change you. Don't wait any longer to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus or to repent of your sins or to delay your obedience. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do, believer or unbeliever, whether it's to submit your heart and life to Him for the first time or whether it's to obey some command that He's already given you, don't delay, don't put it off. Do it today. 
Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Versailles. We would love it if you joined us in person. Our services are Sunday at 1045 a.m. and Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. We are located at 211 East Jasper Street in Versailles, Missouri. For more sermon recordings, visit our sermon page at fbcversailles.com.